Verulam Sports. Hello again and welcome to Verulam Sport Podcasting. This is Tony Rice alongside friend of the show, the rugby scholar, the ever erudite and I want to say the looking incredibly svelte, Mr. Brian Quinn. How are you, Brian? You doing well? I'm okay. I think all you can see from there is my head. So if I've got a svelte head, then that's wonderful. <laughs> I'll take anything I can get, Tony. Yes, I'm good, thanks. How's your stuff? Hey, top man. Well, listen, I know you're committed to massive fitness programming, and I'm looking forward to talking about that in a bit more detail uh, alongside Stuart Clark very soon for a bit of an upcoming uh, Verum Sport Fitness uh, special that we're going to be running throughout March and into April. But we'll just leave that there as a bit of a tease. Uh, one thing that is for sure, um, sometimes one can debate the precision levels uh, and accuracy of some of the Six Nations activity, but one can never take away that these guys are supreme athletes. And I'm excited now, Brian, to dissect round two's action with you. And then a bit later on in the week, another little bit of a tease. I'm full of teases today. I'll talk with you again to preview round three. But Brian, we've got to kick off, don't we, uh, with England versus Italy. Before we dissect the scoreline, the key thing you and I were speaking about last week, Italy are now, I think, uh, without a bonus point even, in 29 so there's no real surprises that England wound up comprehensive victors. We were looking for improvements on performance. We were looking for improvements on discipline. On those two scores, Brian, how would you rate what you witnessed from Twickenham and England's victory last weekend against the Italians? Well, it was better than the week before, but that's not saying a great deal, is it? The... Uh... I suppose the complexity of the game these days means that you have to be on top of every little detail as often as you possibly can. You will make mistakes, and as we've said before, the people who recover from mistakes quickest are the ones who tend to thrive. England's discipline was, was better, but it's, it's not as good as it needs to be. Uh, as an overview, I, I like the way that the back three, especially the wingers, came into the game a lot more, although I think Mr Daly needs to be wanting action a bit more than he's doing things currently. The, the forwards were more precise, the front row went well, but it's all got the context of its, uh, and I, I hesitate to say this, but it's only Italy. It's, it's not Wales or Ireland or anybody or France in particular. I'm, so I'm say, Brian, I think that's a more than fair assessment of the situation. Once again, I'm not going to get into the debate because quite frankly, I think it's been had and our views are mirrored vis-a-vis uh, -vis a two-tier Six Nations. But again, just to repeat the fact, this is now 29 consecutive Six Nations games for Italy without even so much as a bonus point for them. So that's the reality. That is the context. But again, let's always revert to the positives. There were signs of improvement for England. Before we really get into this game i want to throw out two names for you that i'm interested to get your take on as to should they be involved in the england setup and if so why aren't they number one a man who has been involved in the past and uh sam simmons exeter's captain talisman and the zurich premiership or sorry the gallagher premiership top scorer at the moment number eight for exeter his 11 tries are six clear 
of the two guys in second place. So it gives you a sense of the kind of caliber that he's consistently putting in. Another name, again, he's featured. He's been involved in training squads. Harlequin's Marcus Smith. He's the top point scorer in the uh, Gallagher Premiership, but also a young man with an awful lot of imagination, also a very versatile player. So just briefly, before we go into the action from England's victory, your thoughts on those two uh, starring players in the uh, Gallagher Premiership and thoughts as to should they perhaps be doing the business for England? And if so, would they add to the, the quality that we feel at the moment is slightly lacking from the England efforts? I don't know. <clears throat> I don't think the quality is lacking. The morale certainly is. And that's the point that I would make here. You've mentioned two wonderfully fresh players who are consistently, and that's the operative word, doing things perfectly in, in the premiership. So if you draft them into a national side, which isn't failing flagging necessarily, but which needs freshening up, then you, you've got two ideal, and they're not alone, two ideal cases to do it exactly there. Because it, it brings, it's, it's a dreadful shame that Willis hurt himself so badly and won't be around for the rest of the season. Something like that adds a, a new item to the mix, and it means that it's more exciting. New people, the old guard have got to say, right, I've got to look to my game you folks, it's not just in, in the back row and fly half where, where we can change things. It's all over the park. That's the depth that England have got. Uh, I, I would love to see it. I really would. It's a very strange year. It's going to be another strange year coming up until we're back to normal. So let's take some experimentation in the Six Nations. Try out some people with not just a, a cameo of 20 minutes. Let's try a couple of games and see how they do it. I'd love to see it happen at Fly Half because we haven't had a change there, apart from the two who do it, for, for some years. Um, Danny Cipriani is never going to make it now. It's, it's just uh, too long ago for, for him, which uh, I think is a shame. So Marcus Smith, yep, that would be ideal. Sam Simmons, uh, a tremendous training ground he's come out of, Exeter. Uh, let's see what he brings to England. I, I do think Billy Vanipola needs a rest. And it's, it's a shame. He's been a, a huge hero of mine. I, I've met him once, which was wonderful fun. I didn't upset him, which was even better. Uh, so let's see. Eddie Jones has all of the cards to play. And it needs to be played right. And as far as I'm concerned, it needs to be played quickly. We will see. England comprehensive victors, 41 to 18, with racking up six tries. Uh, you made a real key point there, though, Brian, at the, uh, a few moments ago. Um, what I was impressed with, perhaps the most, was the attitude and the hunger from Messrs. Watson, who got a brace, and Johnny May will talk more about in a moment, uh, the two wingers, really looking to get involved in the game. Sometimes, if the mountain ain't coming to Mohammed, the, the metaphorical Mohammed's got to go hunting the mountains. And both wingers, for me, looked hungry for work. Watson, another opportunistic try. And that effort, uh, that attitude, was one of the... the Mega plus points I took from the victory at the weekend. Just your thoughts on those two flying wingers. Yeah, it, it's wonderful to see. I, I don't know <laughs> whether we take referee Nigel's view on Johnny May's try that it may well I, have been... A, a, another teaser, because we're going to drill into it. Mm, yeah, um, but the finish, 
was absolutely world class. This was straight out of uh, gridiron football, and he didn't have any armor to help him. Uh, he, he knew what was coming. Uh, it was a tremendous tackle that was coming in at great pace. Uh, he got over the top of it. The ball was in the wrong hand, and he controlled it with the wrong hand, and still in the air, brought that hand down to make the score before anything else touched the, the try line or the ground or anything else. It was a wonderful, wonderful finish. Watson, uh, his first try in particular, I loved. He was going for the outside, and a simple step off the right foot brought him past the last two defenders, uh, and for him... It was a relatively easy thing, but you've got to do it for it to look easy and to be easy. Uh, it's great to see the wingers back. I'd love to see them roaring after work in all parts of the field. Um, Clive Woodward, I've mentioned it before, says it takes 20 seconds to score a try. It still takes 20 seconds to score a try. So let's see them looking for work and being given the ball earlier rather than later. A fantastic analysis there. And since you brought it up, the May score. First and foremost, let's recognise that uh, what we're going to talk about now is largely academic. The try stands and is a, a quite a seminal try for Johnny May. Um, it's his um, 32nd uh, for England, meaning that he stands alone uh, behind the great flyer, Rory Underwood, as England's all-time second highest try scorer. I was impressed even before the leap, the awareness of space to keep in fields uh, and dance tippy toe stylely around the touchline. Absolutely phenomenal, world class. But then you brought it up, and I was delighted you have because I wanted to uh, delve into it with you. I know you've uh, enjoyed the company also of the now retired, arguably the greatest referee in a rugby context of all time, uh, Nigel Owen. And a uh, bit of Twitter back and forth, because as you rightly say, almost American football-esque, the leap. And if that was done in a rook context, obviously that would be illegal. Matt Dawson raised the point. Nigel Owens, again, I think he knows a thing or two about the laws of the game, says by the letter of the law, because he actually literally almost let it what would be into tackle context, that should have been a penalty for Italy. Are you inclined to agree with that assessment? Or is it one of those that sometimes we just have to say, we are looking to attract an audience. This is spectacular. It was a, a classy finish. And let's just give that young man his dues and uh, move on. What, what's your thoughts on it, Brian, literally and technically? I think Johnny May leapt out of danger. And that, for me, would mean that the tribe would stand. Uh, in... in with the laws of rugby, you are not allowed to leap into the air like that. However, let's, let's see what his intentions were. His intentions were to avoid the tackler, not to go into contact, which he did beautifully, successfully. And he scored the try with some wonderful handling. You can't leap into a tackle. That's a different situation. That is dangerous, uh, and it can hurt both the tackler and the tacklee. Uh, and we, we see quite enough injuries these days. We don't want to see any more. Uh, I would agree with the absolute ruling, or not ruling, but indication of Nigel Owens that the, the action was probably illegal. But let's take uh, what, what he meant to do, which was to score a try without hurting anybody. That's exactly what he did. So for me, the five points stand. As I say, it's academic, but it's fascinating. And I think uh, on balance, just the... 
just the sensational element of it deserved the five-pointer. And, you know, again, credit to Johnny May now. Stands alone, second all-time on the England top try scorer list. It's a lot of good players in that <laughs> list. Um, you mentioned their injuries there. And I just, my goodness me, what a, what a strange game. What a surreal moment it is. Young um, Willis, Jack Willis. Uh, what a star this guy is. I wish him well. He's already uh, recovered in his very young career from a horrific ACL tear. He comes on. Looks to the manner born, a real terrier around the breakdown, scores a uh, opportunistic try. Again, just to give everybody the context, if you're not familiar with young Jack Willis, um, this guy is a real superstar in the making. Last year's um, Gallagher pre- uh, Players Player of the Year. He was also the Gallagher Premiership Player of the Year, the discovery of the season. And that's at a bounce back year after a, a horrific left ACL tear. We're hearing that it's not an ACL, but he, uh, of his right, his, his opposite leg. But it's again, he is out for the season, and that is uh, so sad. Reflection of the nature of the game. But I want to talk to you again about certain elements of the modern game. Look, rugby is always going to be a contact sport. That's why we love it. Uh, it's legal. I'm talking about the uh, rook technique of um, the crocodile roll. Um, but it was, of course, that which caused this horrific, uh, probably season-ending injury for the young man. Uh, your thoughts on the rooking methodology, which has been called the crocodile roll. And do you think, that this, given the size and the scale of these modern players, that that is something that we need to question and potentially look to outlaw? Frank, quite frankly, for me, rooking was a lot safer and a lot more direct. It also had an effect on the game if you were able to ruck your opponents. Now, I don't mean kick the daylights out of them or rake or stamp or anything like that. I mean just plain solid rucking. Ruck over them so that your body is above and in front of the opponent who's got the ball. That is then your ball. You have retaken possession or secured your own possession and your fly half can, uh, your scrum half can then use that. The referee can see exactly what's going on. He knows there's not going to be somebody flying in from the side because that's illegal and he simply uses a card or a penalty to deal with that. But uh, a return to rucking is a short fix. I'm not saying it's going to fix everything because players are bigger, stronger, harder, faster than they were before. So let's have this crocodile roll out of the way. The thing before that that I want to see gotten rid of is the ability of players, because it's legal, to go into a situation like this, ruck, ball, tackle even, and lift one leg of an opposing player who may well not have any, um, any contact with the ball at the time. That means that that player, wherever he is, is in an unstable situation and quite literally anything can happen. Now, we've seen what happened with, with Willis. Uh, that was not the case here. But I want to see this one-legged thing outlawed, and I want to see it happen quickly. Uh, it, it seems to take the World Rugby Association so long to identify something which is blatantly dangerous and they, they've done nothing about it. Let, let's try and stabilize the ruck and the clear-out situation. You can still have clear-outs. It's a matter of the forwards going forward counting and saying, well, do we have possession? Do they have possession? If they have possession, how many people are defending? How many of us are there? If there's more of us than them, we drive in. If there's fewer, then we spread out and defend. Uh, That doesn't take a genius to work out, and it takes just a moment to look at it on the field for for a player. Players are not being taught this. I'd love to see it happen a lot more. 
once again, you are preaching to the choir. Bugbear for me at the moment as well. Got to tell you, Brian, I was in the context of rooking. Um, nobody seems to be refereeing the offside line. Uh, but, the, the, you know, with, with the international game wants to preach uh, a faster game. We're aware that defensive lines are so well drilled these days. And we're not averse to that. But for goodness sake, it is the case that the offside line represents the back foot of uh, where the rook is. And you see it. You can visually see it. I know referees have so much to take on board. But you can visually see it in every single game, practically every single breakdown. Players not even just hitting it to the edge, and I always love it when players play on the edge, but meters over sometimes, meaning that they've already got that speed strength advantage of modern day players, and they're giving themselves a literally unfair advantage. I want that to be refereed because if it is, very quickly that aspect will change, and once again, it'll create more space for attackers, and I think overall will create. Not immediately, no magic wand, but over time, a much more exciting version of international rugby, which we all want, right? Yeah, what you've just recommended is not taking anything away from the game. If anything, it's adding something to it. And you're freeing up possession, which people have been talking about for years, and not enough has been done about it. The crocodile roll has slowed things down, and it's, it's basically dangerous. Uh, and somebody will, will be seriously hurt. Uh, in that situation. Willis' uh, situation there was slightly different. But let's take the dangers out of the game. Let's, we know how big and how strong and how fast and how fit these players are. We have to make use of that and we have to make sure that they are um, taken care of in, in their current situations. We train them to do this. Let's make it safe for them. Absolutely. Love your views on this. If you're listening, uh, tweet us at Verulam Sport. Email in sport at radioverulam.com. But getting back now to the action that was uh, last weekend. Um, Scotland were on a roll, weren't they? I think they were bidding for their fifth straight uh, victory in the tournament. That would have been a first for them since 1984. Obviously euphoric after a first victory at Twickenham the other week since 83. Uh, but you called it yet again, Brian. I tell you, honestly, as you're donning your punditry hat, you're absolutely on fire. There was a Celtic storm. Wales uh, came to the party big. Another red card, we'll talk about that, benefited them. It was a tight game, uh, but Wales prevailed 25-24 to 24 at Murrayfield. Overarching opinions on this uh, mini, mini classic. Well, once again, a wonderful back three. Uh, but let's take just just re-examine it there uh, for what he can do, and he did it twice. Three tries in two games. That's a wonderful record in modern rugby. Wales were workmanlike. They made fewer mistakes than anybody else. Uh, they contained a, a lot of what Scotland did, and Scotland, I was very pleased with their performance. It was a good Six Nations contest. Uh, Wales, I believe, deserved it. It obviously, when your opposition goes down to 14 men, you have to be very careful because the morale of your opponent may well go up rather than down when they lose a man. Uh, Scotland were not quite able to do it. Um, that's just the way it was. Wales will now <coughs> build in confidence looking to the England clash in a week or so's time. Uh, so that should be fascinating. I think they just about deserved it. Um, and you can't argue with two wins out of two, can you? 
You certainly can't. And it's important we've spoken about the bigger picture, haven't we, Brian? About the importance of a strong Welsh team uh, and indeed a strong general Celtic team for the benefit of uh, European rugby and, of course, how that ripples across the global game. And again, let's not forget, people have short memories. I know I was uh, certainly um, a little negative about the early um, sojourn of uh, Wayne Pivak, head coach. He's uh, not out of the mire, but again, as you say, two wins from two. Uh, they're currently second in the table, England ahead. And all you can do is win sometimes. Two big wins for Wales, and that's good for the game as a general rule, isn't it? Yes, it is. <coughs> it, it, it is, so let's see where they take it from here. They do need to up their game. Uh, England will be wanting to do something out of the ordinary when, when they go to Cardiff. And Wales will have to stop that rush. Is there going to be a, an English storm? Well, it's been a while since we saw one, so I think we're owed one. Maybe there will be. I don't know. But Wales um, have made sure that England have it all to do at the moment. Two wins out of two. Uh, just look at the scoreboard. That's where Wales are. I think you're dead right. And as you say, as an advert for the Six Nations, a really strong one. Um, we spoke about the great upward trend of Scotland and they're well coached and we still maintain that. But they led at half-time 17 points to eight. Uh, I was impressed with their style of rugby. They seemed to find a support man and find a way to get over the, the game uh, the game line. Uh, and their a try from the winger, um, Graham, lovely little chip ahead. He was busy. Um, just, again, the, the, the support lines was phenomenal. But... One of the other buzzwords, which is important uh, in winning cultures, is game management. What do you think Scotland will learn from a game management perspective from this defeat? And if you are Gregor Townsend and coaching staff, are you looking at this narrow defeat as another opportunity lost for them to keep on that winning momentum? Indeed, it was an opportunity lost. There's no doubt of that. I think Scotland were a mic frenetic at times. Uh, I think if they had slowed things down, taken control, perhaps just a tiny bit more, remember we're talking about precision all the time, then they may well have thrived from, or throve, or whatever the past particle is, uh, from that. Uh, they, they didn't. They didn't take advantage of, of certain scoring situations, which they undoubtedly had. However, their, mids, their midfield is secure. The, the the two wingers are great. You've got Hogg at the back, and he's one of the best in the world at the position he is in, as he demonstrated once again in this match. You've got a wonderful warlike bunch of forwards. The back row is, is great. Uh, Wales contained that. Scotland must find a way to make sure that other packs do not contain that sort of thing, because with enough possession, Scotland will do very well in this tournament and the tournaments to come. Remember, obviously, there's a World Cup coming up not too far away, and Scotland will be building for that. They now have something to properly build on. Uh, Finn Russell, love what he does. Uh, I, I wish he could talk to his players a bit more about what he's going to do. That, I think, would, would help matters. Uh, particularly the back row. I'd love to see him interchange more with the back row. That would be very nice. But Russell runs the game better than perhaps certain... England players in the same position that one might mention. Um, if you compare Russell with some of the greats from England of years gone by, um, Johnny Wilkinson is the obvious one to come to, and the all-black Dan Carter. 
there are similarities in the game. Uh, and Finn, Finn Russell has a lot of that. I don't think England at the moment have similarities that we've just alluded to. But, yep, Scotland do regard it as, uh, if they have any sense, as an opportunity lost. And they will aim to improve as the season goes on. Absolutely, they will. And uh, sometimes it's a strange one. You do learn from your defeats. And it's sometimes something you look back on as a turning point. Anyway, time will tell. Uh, Just briefly, before we move on to Sunday's uh, 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 fixture, just want to briefly touch upon the man you've already referenced, Reese Zamet. A brace for him. Uh, So and such, just... Raw ability, great eye for the try line. Top try scorer in the tournament with three, as you've already said. Four tries in just six caps. So this young man is a superstar already, and I think that's only going to continue. Um, it's impressive, isn't it, when you unearth talent like that? Well, the things he brings to the game, acceleration. He goes from naught to upside down in nothing flat, if that makes any sort of sense at all. It's, you can't do anything about pace. Somebody has pace and somebody has acceleration. Uh, unless you have exactly the same attributes, you are left for dead. And that's exactly what defences are going to find more and more and more with Reece Summit. He doesn't know any other way to do these things, which is wonderful. Let's make sure he never learns another thing in his life because he's wonderful to watch. And he can help things like the British Lions when they go out and do things. But he's, he's worth the entrance money just watching what he's going to do next. Somebody alluded to his defence. Um, don't know. It seems, it seems okay to me so far. Uh, you wouldn't put him forward as the Johnny Wilkinson style of tackler. Not yet, anyway. But uh, he's only 20. He, he can learn that. Uh, and to add that to the attributes that he currently has, absolutely wonderful. Lovely to watch. I think there were an awful lot of uh, almost first-team British lines on display uh, again, I think Hogg, you've already mentioned, Finn potentially, and that young man I think we can add to the mix. Moving it on then to Valentine's Day, Ireland versus France in Dublin. No love lost between these two sides. And once again, France keep winning. Two from two, they top the table. No wins from Ireland yet. This is a first victory for France in Dublin in a decade. But once again, Brian... Uh, maybe the scoreline slightly flatters the Irish, but once again, 13 to 15 defeat in it literally to the death. Ireland could look back on both their games thinking if one or two things had gone our way, we could have had two from two. Mm. Yep, they're two from two the wrong way. Um, (laughs) Modern rugby is unforgiving uh, and the records speak for themselves about the lost opportunities, etc., France, again, contained Ireland, contained just about everything that Ireland had to do, almost. Um, It's still quite true to say that uh, getting within two points of France is quite a feat these days. Uh, Ireland will not be happy with that. They believe that they should have won that match. Uh, And quite what it does when they are two from two down, uh, their opponents for the rest of the year, have cause to fear that because there will be not necessarily a Celtic storm, but there will be a Celtic backlash. Uh, We'll see who cops that one. Yeah, first home defeat for Andy Farrell. And for me, again, the key win 
for Ireland in their two defeats was the fact that they never showed any uh, inclination of dropping their heads. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, so from a character perspective, which is oftentimes the foundation upon which success can be built, is looking really solid. Coming back to France though, Brian, we've heaped immense amounts of praise for them, and quite rightly so. There's a jolly good reason they're two from two. But if you are one of their opponents coming up, one of the ways that Ireland, I think, uh, maybe kept the game so close was in the key area of line-outs. Lots of steals there on France's own throw. These are things that can be ironed out in training, but it is certainly something that they will be keen to iron out because other teams, maybe on a bit more of a winning uh, curve, will capitalise, won't they? Line-out steals often represents the best opportunities to score tries. Indeed, as Keller uh, 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 has demonstrated uh, in this very fixture, given the strong defence, a line-out steal gives a bit more open field, doesn't it? Something for the French to work on. Well, it's a quicker restart. France traditionally if I dare say so, have not been the greatest at set-piece. They'd rather run with the ball. When they're doing that with their tails up, <coughs> they can be the best in the world. And that's what the rest of the Six Nations um, sides have, have got to work out for the remainder of this season. They do need to tighten up on, on, on the set-piece, uh, particularly the line-out. As you said, the scrum isn't bad at the moment. It can be beaten, but it's not bad. Uh, once they get enough of the ball, if they get 60-plus percent, possession then look out for their backs because that's where the danger lies absolutely and i tell you what i'm still tipping to the france for 2023 and at the moment they remain the team to beat in the 2021 six nations top of the table two wins from two hey brian it's always tipped up to uh, dissect the rugby action with you. I look forward to building up to round three uh, a bit later next week. But for now, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Keep well, keep safe. And as always, appreciate your time and company. Thanks, Tony. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Top man.